0: You're listening to the CLE Foodcast with Lisa Sands, the place for delicious conversation on local food and the people who grow, cook, and share it. Here's Lisa.
1: If you follow the CLE Foodcast Instagram, you may have seen my video on how to cut and eat a pawpaw. If you don't know what I'm talking about, give it a Google. It's pawpaw, P-A-W-P-A-W, and you may be surprised to find out that it's a delicious fruit that grows on trees in the Midwest, including Ohio. Today we find out about pawpaws from Chris Schmiel of Integrated Acres. He is also the founder of the Ohio Pawpaw Festival. I want to share something with you before we talk about pawpaws. I'm an Ohio wines ambassador, and that means it's my job to tell you about Ohio's growing winemaking industry. Since it's back to school time, let me give you a few interesting facts. There are five viticultural appellations in the state, and they all have different terroir and climate, so the grapes and the wines will have different characteristics depending on where they're grown. Ohio's grape industry started in the early 1800s with Catawba grapes, but now you can find many more varieties across the state, like Pinot Gris, Riesling, Chambourcin, and Syrah. And finally, did you know that Ohio is the sixth largest wine producer in the country? We are. To find your next Ohio wine destination, head to findohiowines.com. This is a terrific resource to learn more about Ohio's wineries across the state and with more than 300 wineries, you can bet there's one near you. Stay up to date on my Ohio Wine Ambassador adventures by following the CLE Foodcast Instagram and Facebook page. Tell me if you have a favorite winery I should visit and maybe I'll meet you there. Thanks to Ohio Wines for partnering with me. And remember, use findohiowines.com and start planning your Ohio wine adventures. It seems like you either know pawpaws and you're crazy about them, or you have no idea. They won't be in a grocery store due to a very brief shelf life. And while some can be found in Cleveland backyards, most tend to be a little wild. Chris knows a lot about them. He grows them and he makes products out of their sweet pulp. So let's get everyone on the same page about the fantastic pawpaw fruit. My guest today is Chris Schmiel, the foremost expert on pawpaws. At least as far as I can see, the owner of Integration Acres in Albany, Ohio, and the founder and organizer of the Ohio Paw Paw Festival. Chris, thanks for being on the CLE Foodcast this morning. This is like prime time season for you. I feel like you're the guy that's in demand to speak about pawpaws. And also, I'm sure you're deep in the throes of planning the festival. So, Let's start with how you got started with pawpaws. I would like to understand, um, I want to start at the beginning. I do want to start at the beginning. I want to understand what a pawpaw is like botanically. Can you start with sharing um, what it is? It is obviously a fruit, but beyond that, I bet a lot of people don't know anything about it.
0: Yeah, so it's uh, North America's largest native tree fruit. And... Um, it's in the custard apple family, which is Anonaceae, and um, it's, I guess, uh, you know, the one, an example of, you know, the diversity of that family. Uh, it's got, you know, cousins that a lot of Americans don't necessarily know about, like, um, but some of, some of us do. Uh, cherimoya and guanabana, and soursop, and custard apple, and Um, so, and there's uh, 2,100 other tropical fruits in that family and it's the one that's here in North America and it's native to 26 states east of the Mississippi. And, um, I got into pawpaws because I like pawpaws. I mean, I like, I mean, they inspire me, I guess. Um, I've been doing it for a long time, so I feel less inspired than I used to be, I guess, in a way, because, <laughs> like, when I first got into it, I was really excited about it, and that's why, you know, I worked on doing things like the Paw Festival to excite other people about them. You know, it, it, for people who've never had one before, uh, I say it tastes tropical because, you know, it's... People will say, oh, it tastes a little bit like a mango, or maybe sometimes it tastes like a cantaloupe or a strawberry. I mean, it's just the range of flavors that people can kind of detect. It speaks to the, I think, diversity um, that you can get from a pawpaw. And then, you know, it's very custardy, so it's very soft and almost slimy, you know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, I do, I do, because mm-hmm. I recently had my first one, and I had heard about the Pawpaw Festival about f- probably four years ago, and a friend of mine that I know well, Shane Wynn, she's a photographer in Akron, she goes down a lot of years and has competed in the Pawpaw eating contest and all of that. She's photographed the event for herself, and I, I think several members of her family go. And I was just so curious from that point, point. and then, of course, we, we had a couple of years where everything sort of just stopped in its tracks, but in my mind, I had never forgotten about pawpaws. Uh, but I couldn't get my hands on one, and I think that's probably the the limitation that most of us experience. So when I knew that I wanted to do this episode, I I started with a post on a local food group, and everybody pointed me to a gentleman in Lakewood um, up here, and so I picked some up at his house last night, but. About a week and a half ago, someone else said, I think I have a pawpaw tree in my yard. Do you want me to leave some on my porch? (laughs) So I said, sure. And I will say they were in pretty, they were in a state of extreme ripeness. And I, at the time, hadn't realized how fragile they were, but I did get it home. I immediately cut into it and I can't think of anything. It does feel tropical. Um, It even looks a little tropical, but like the fruit itself looks tropical but also the leaves and and some other things but the custard it was the texture that really blew me away and also i've got these two pawpaws i picked up last night in my fridge the aroma is amazing i mean my entire fridge smells like them and i know that one i have to use today and another one uh which is a different variety i think can last till sunday so I can see why they're captivating. Um, but I I'm so curious because they're so hard to handle. Um, they're fragile that's we don't see them in grocery stores. so you do you grow them on your farm on your um, in your business integration acres? Tell me how you handle them and what you do there because I you are the largest processor of papa pulp, which is something I didn't know about until I read about you.
0: yeah. um so yeah, we have an orchard um, but down in this part of the state we're also blessed with a lot of wild pawpaws so that's what really allowed allowed me to sort of work on the pawpaw because uh, you know if you have lemons you make lemonade you have pawpaws you make pawpaw pulp that's what i've done and uh, you know we deal with fresh fruit but it's it is because it's fragility, you know. It's it makes it tough. So what what I've always tried to focus on is the processing of pawpaws because, well, down here we have a, a really great asset. Um, it's a community kitchen, and that's that's where I was able to start. So instead of you know spending thousands of dollars on a facility, you know you can go down and, and rent some time in a kitchen. Mm-hmm and uh you know that's where we worked on you know taking the skins off and the seeds out and you know primarily we we freeze it you know freezing's not a perfect way I mean I don't know if there's any perfect way because those smells that you get are so fragile uh you know those things like it's it they just sort of disappear when you when you freeze things but as far as uh Mm -hmm. you know, preserving them. I think freezing is the way to go. Um, so yeah, we have also really incorporated goats into our situation as, or any other grazing animals because animals don't eat the pawpaw trees, um, when they're out browsing. And, um, Mm. I made my own major in sustainability. So I have a, like a strong theme of uh, sustainable agriculture and, um, that's one of the other reasons I basically got into pawpaws because it's a native plant and it's farmed pretty much organically or can be. So yeah, we, this time of year, you know, we're basically going out in the orchard every day and just, harp, you know, picky I like to get the fruit after it's fallen on the ground because I know it's ripe. That's when it's the sweetest. Mm-hmm. And ideally, you know, like do not, ne- do not, or, you know, we need to make sure that people understand not, never to eat a hard pawpaw. You know, because
1: I read that today.
0: Yeah, they're, they're really powerful chemicals in the in the fruit that protect them from the animals and the bugs. Um, and then, uh, if you were to consume a, a hard pawpaw, that's white, it's not going to taste good, and it's going to make you nauseous potentially. And uh, if you live through that experience, you know, you will you will have learned the hard way. But uh, you probably won't do that again because it's it's not going to kill you, but it's going to make you feel really crappy.
1: Mm, yeah, I imagine getting that through your system would be a little awful. Yeah. Um. But but on the other side, though. Oh, I'm sorry. I just I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead.
0: Well, I mean, because it's such a new fruit and people don't know about it, that's really one of the most important things that we need to make sure people know how to eat the pawpaw when to eat it, and really because of its short shelf life eating a pawpaw is sort of an experience, you know what I mean? You have to sort of catch it at the right time. Um, and it's a short window Mm -hmm. unique like that. I would say, I mean, maybe all fruits are like that, you know what I mean? Like a strawberry you want to catch it at the right time and consume it before it rots or whatever. But anyways, Well,
1: it's funny because the pawpaws, um, I do have one that is on the harder side, which is, and the gentleman, um, Justin Husher is his name in, in Lakewood. And I told him I was, Desperate to get my hands on some pawpaws because I was speaking with you today. And um, so I drove to his place in Lakewood and he's got a a great front porch business, you know. And the one uh, gentleman that was with him said he handed me this one and I, I assumed it was the better pawpaw. I really did. And he goes, now, do not eat this for a couple of days. This is probably good on Sunday. And then Justin handed me one that, to be honest with you, when I felt it, I thought, Man, you're giving me a really crappy pawpaw here. Like, and but it's but he said no, this is perfect. And so I treated it like a baby. (laughs) I mean, it's very, very mushy and soft. And later today, I'm gonna cut into it, and I think I'm gonna do a video and show people. I cut one up a couple weeks ago. It was a very tiny, like I said, almost very close to being rotten. But the seeds were interesting. I mean, I just used that pawpaw as a way to explore myself, you know, and I was sort of feeling the flesh and smelling it. And I I tasted it um, just off my fingers. And wow, I mean, I just I, my, my immediate thought was sort of like, wow, I feel like this is a tropical island fruit. I feel like this is something I should be eating on Hawaii. Of all those fruits you named earlier, the tremoya is really the only one that I have heard of. I have not heard of those those other ones. But, you know, shape wise, it sort of fits in the palm of your hand. It reminds me of a mango you know kind of in its appearance but really there is nothing like it yes it's it it has a nuance of banana maybe it has a nuance of um of a tropical fruit it reminded me completely of a baked custard i mean i can imagine how that some of the applications for the papa could be really amazing so tell me about that when you process the papas you scoop out everything the seeds you the seeds remove so easily i mean it's kind of a dream situation what are people using your products for um, and relate that a little bit to what is available at the Pawpaw Festival? Because I know there's a lot of creativity expressed there.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I would say, well, for, for us, the primary use of the Pawpaw pulp right now is for breweries, believe it or not. And well, actually, that has a lot to do with the Pawpaw Festival. Um, mm mm-hmm. Paw Paw Festival over the years has sort of become a little microbrew festival for our region. Um, and that sort of came about because of one of the individuals involved. Um, his name's Kelly Sauber, and he used to be a brewer, but he basically brewed the first large-scale uh, batches of Paw Paw Wheat when he was a brewer at Marietta Brewing Company. Hmm. And the whole brewing scene, he was early in on it. And uh, so there was like this network of brewers. And, you know, as far as Cleveland goes, we used to have um, Black Box and Buckeye Brewing Company would come down to the Paw Paw Festival. They came down for years. Mm -hmm. I think those guys, I'm not sure they're in business anymore or not. But yeah, so beer. That's where a lot of it goes. Um, besides that, you know, like at the festival, some of the things that people use it in are gonna be things like pawpaw elephant ears, um, you know, pawpaw sauces, like like a jerk like jerk sauce or you know, mm-hmm. like a, sure. you know, like pulled pork. Um there's like Filipino folks that put uh use pawpaw in some of their sauces. Pawpaw ice cream is really popular. We make pawpaw smoothie popsicles. That's one of the wow that um, mm-hmm. we like. The, the pawpaws are pretty nutritious. And so I, I always felt like a smoothie was a pretty good way to take advantage of that custardy texture as well.
1: Yeah, I actually think that's what I might do with my larger one. Um, I'll pop it in my Vitamix, maybe with some banana, maybe a little coconut. uh, water, coconut water, coconut milk. Um, I don't know. That's what I thought I might use with that larger one. The one that I'm going to cut into today, I have a feeling um, now it's in the fridge. I hope it's solidifying ever so slightly, but I feel like when I cut into that, it's almost going to be like, um, you know, once I remove the seeds, I almost feel like I'm going to just take a spoon and and spoon it out. I think that's what I'm going to do with it. I mean, is that, that's probably how most people enjoy them in their most simplest form, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, and I think eating a fresh pawpaw is sort of the apex of the ways to enjoy it, mm-hmm. really. You know, and it's you're only going to have that opportunity for a short window each year.
1: So I was reading about um, the history of the fruit. Um, it's another interview, I believe, that you had done um, because you turn up a Google search, turns you up pretty much anything related to pawpaws, as you probably know, that for the Indian tribes. Uh, and the indigenous people that lived here that have lived here for many years throughout the Appalachian region, like Southern Ohio. Um, And I should say that the Papa festivals in uh, that's also in Albany, right? Uh, Which is outside of Athens. Yes. Okay. So, you know, you're getting into that uh, Appalachian section of Ohio Mm -hmm. or Appalachian, depending on how you say it. And so there is a history of, of Indian tribes there. And, they had some words and some language around the timing of the pawpaw, the fact that it came in September and it was sort of this foreshadowing of winter. Uh, I've just found that so interesting that it was a staple, a seasonal staple for a group of people that lived here, you know, thousands of years ago. Um, What else can you tell me about that based on your research and knowledge?
0: Well, I mean, around the state actually, in some of the uh like mounds that are around the state so places like in newark in heath there's some earthworks up there or you know down in cincinnati there's there's places there's a place called shawnee lookout that's Mm -hmm. there's uh always pawpaws at these locations so um it's not just necessarily in, in the Appalachian region of the state, but mm-hmm. around the state. And, mm. you know, I think you can see remnants of that at these ancient sites. My sons, are, we would go for some school athletic stuff up to Heath and there's a nice uh, bike path along a river down there and uh, tons of pawpaws, you know, and of course, mm. you know, the native peoples really use the, the, rivers and such in a different way than we do you know like that was sort of their part of their transportation system and uh, I always sort of looked at pawpaws being um, kind of like fast food of the past you know what I mean
1: because you can pick one off and eat it and move on
0: yeah yeah and people are still doing that you know we we do get a lot of pawpaws from from the rivers and such um, they just grow really well down there. They, they like the moisture and the well-drained soils, but yeah, one of our first, uh, logos for the festival, we incorporated like Lewis and Clark, Lewis and Clark were mm. fond of the pawpaws or no- noted them in their journals. And, uh, so we, we use them like sort of as a, you know, example of canoeing and picking pawpaws. So,
1: mm-hmm it seems to me that it's no secret that foraging is an increasingly popular thing for a lot of reasons. Just people think it's cool and it's very trendy, but also there are people that are kind of going back to the the old school way of doing things, which is, you know, going out and finding things on their own. There's pros and cons to that. There's problems with it. People traipsing all over the place, you know, raiding national parks and and all of that, particularly with ramps is the area where I I think about it a lot because I go out and find my own little ramp, ramp patch. But with pawpaws, um, you know, are a lot of them on uh, private lands or people cultivating them, you know, for their own use? Obviously, you have a whole farm, a whole orchard. But um, if people want to find some because there will be people, and I'm sure it's a topic at the Pawpaw Festival. Where do you suggest people go where um, they can actually encounter some pawpaws? I mean, I'm not talking about the people that want to take baskets and baskets. I'm talking about someone's curious about this. They listen to the podcast and they think, well, I, I probably would like to try that or I'd like to find those. Are there some recommendations? What type of landscape to look for? You know, are there any places throughout Northeast Ohio where people can look? Um
0: Well, I mean... I think you kind of hit on it. Like there's people that have planted pawpaws in their yards because mm-hmm. obviously Cleveland is an urban area. So, you know, they're a great landscape tree. And I remember being at a conference in Lakewood and I was just walking around in the neighborhood and ran into several pawpaw trees in people's yards. You know what I mean? So that's, you know, I think, you know, getting out, like you, you had mentioned getting on Facebook or whatever. And, uh, you know, people connecting you to them because just because people have pawpaws doesn't, doesn't mean they, they want them or they value them. You know, they may just all fall on the ground and rot and they don't care. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, of course they're out in the wild. A lot of times, you know, people remember pawpaws as being in the woods, which is true, you know, but you're usually they, you get a little less fruit in the woods because of the shade. So, um, you know, that's why in lawns or or the edges of forests uh, are good. Pastures, because the animals don't eat them, oftentimes the pawpaws can have a patch in there Mm. or along the edge of a pasture. You know, and I think actually that's kind of part of the fun is like going around and talking to people about pawpaws. It's, you know, like when I started, I would basically just like, I mean, they're kind of, they're abundant down here, but, you know, driving around, seeing them, knocking on people's doors, and saying, Hey, what are you doing with your pawpaws? I see you have some. And they're like, well, I hate pawpaws. You can have all you want, you know? And I'm like, great. So I met a lot of people over the years by just finding pawpaws. Like when I first started, I met a lot of little old ladies, you know, they were like in their eighties, uh, or something. And, you know, they thought it was great that someone cared about a pawpaw. And, uh, you know, we, there's a lady named Bessie and all, you know, it was great to learn all these people. We made cuttings from those trees and we would make varieties from some of those. And uh, it, was, it was interesting. But uh, you know, interesting.
1: That- well, speaking of varieties, I have a I was told I have a Susquehanna mm-hmm. and a Jerry's Big Girl. I don't know. Um, I, and then when I looked up uh, varieties um, online, I I saw many, many more. Are there are there varieties that are more um, akin to Ohio versus Kentucky or is it is it kind of hit or miss do they, when they're in the wild do they sort of propagate and cultivate on their own and, and, and tell me about varieties what do you what do you know with your background about what kind of varieties people might encounter here is there something more common.
0: Well, there's a lot of genetic diversity. You know, when we talk about varieties, those are ones that have been selected out and they're propagated. Um, So the first one, Susquehanna, that's from Neil Peterson. And Neil Peterson is sort of, is one of my mentors of pawpaws. Um, He started the Pawpaw Foundation and he's got, he's a plant breeder and he created all these different varieties. Now, Jerry's Mm -hmm. big boy or whatever the one it was, uh, that's from Jerry Lehman. And he's another really interesting guy that has passed away recently, but he's from Indiana. And he had been to many pawpaw festivals and uh, won the best pawpaw, and the biggest pawpaw competition many times. Mm. And so he had created varieties that were diploids, whichever uh, genetically this helps them be bigger. So oh. he was a really interesting guy. Um, And there's just a lot of science going on, you know, around pawpaws. Um, Kentucky State University uh, has a pawpaw research farm and germplasm repository. And Mm. there's plantings that are happening around the world, really. You know, so there's a lot of people studying the pawpaws and and like what works, what doesn't work and different varieties. And there's all kinds of like. There's actually OSU, uh they're getting into a lot of stuff right now. So there's a professor here at Ohio University that's done a lot of the um some of the nutrition health stuff. So I think that's an exciting thing about Pawpaws is it provides an opportunity for kind of like the growth of an industry and all the related mm-hmm. things that different people can do. You know, so what I guess in my limited years and, you know, you had said that I'm some foremost and I'm not, you know, I, have I've put in a lot of work on Paws, but um, you know, people like Neil Peterson, he's got 20 years on me as far as uh, his, his work. But I, I, I do feel like I've been able to contribute to the whole mm-hmm. industry by bringing products to the marketplace, which when I started, You know, just like pawpaws are hard to get. Well, you know, that's why we started making products so that they were available year round and things like that. And then the Pawpaw Festival, I think, has been really great as far as educating the public and getting people excited about it. So anyway, rambling. Mm.
1: No, that was really, you led right into one of my questions that I did want to ask, which was, what's the future of pawpaws? I was wondering if there... Is any research being done on perhaps um the nutrition and or medicinal uh value of pawpaws? It seems like uh with people caring so much about longevity and in eating, you know, whole plants, um, the whole plant-based movement, it seems like pawpaws could really have a role in that. And and they're really just at the genesis. I know they've been around forever, <laughs> but like it seems to me, and it's so rare to come across something that is just almost at the, at the beginning, at the at a very, you know, nascent stage of, of their use and understanding. And that I feel like the pawpaw fits that category. What do you think about that?
0: Well, you know, if you go back in history, pawpaws have been, you know, really kind of looked at as exciting. Back in 1916, the American Genetic Association had a competition for the best pawpaws. So there was some excitement back then. Um, but then another native plant, the blueberry, kind of got out in front of the pawpaw. And, you know, you can see mm. how the blueberry industry has blossomed and thrived. So, um, yeah, maybe it's time now for the pawpaw to get that attention. Um, you know, I think having refrigeration is, is different than what was happening in 1916, for example. I mean, if we didn't have refrigeration, we, it would be really hard to do what we're doing with pawpaws now. So, Mm -hmm. you know, having that new technology, not new, new, but you know, newer, you know, I think that may help a lot. Um, you know, unfortunately there are some things going on with the pawpaw trees and, um, Mm. there's the North American Pawpaw Growers Association and, uh, You know, people are planting pawpaws and a lot of times they do great, but then um, there's been some die off. There's been trees that are dying and um, Kentucky State University has had problems. Um, The president or former president of the North American Pawpaw Growers Association named Ron Powell, he just wrote a really good article about this. And in our area, we've lost, I would say, 30 to 50% of our trees in the last couple of years. So we're, I'm really concerned about um, that. I mean, we've really built up the market and that's great. And we've learned a lot. Now, you know, trees take years, they take time. And, you know, just a few years ago we had so much fruit and then we weren't selling it all. And now we don't have as much fruit and we the market's a lot bigger so i think you know i that all looks great for the industry in general it's the problem though is what's going on with the trees Mm
2: -hmm.
0: you know trees in north america there was recently a study that said one in six trees in north america is threatened with um, extinction right now Um, all kinds of trees are suffering you know we lost the ash trees mostly I know in Cleveland, there's some stuff going on with the beech trees,
2: Um, Mm -hmm.
0: you know, so we've got this thing that people call climate change, uh, global warming, you know, the environment, things are changing. I always thought, you know, hey, this is a native plant that's been growing here for 30,000 years. This is gonna be a resilient plant. And it is resilient because yeah, 50% of the trees didn't die. But, you know, I think what I'm learning is that you need to just keep planting and like, they need to be, you need to keep your trees young, you know, kind of just like people, like when you get old, you just don't produce as much. And um, all these old trees where I used to go to like these ladies' backyards and we'd talk and stuff. Well, like all those trees are dead now. And it's really, Mm. it's, it's depressing to tell you the truth. And I'm trying to keep my spirits up and I've, you know, our orchard, we lost probably, You know 30 to 40 percent of it um the trees that survive though they're doing great so okay now we're trying to figure out what happened what i think happened Mm. was three years ago we had a spring where it rained six weeks straight it was a bad crop that year i think it really stressed the trees out and and, you know Mm. the pawpaws don't like to have wet feet um, they don't like their roots to be in water for too long um, they like well-drained soils and ever since then the trees just have not looked good the um the tips die back that the leaves turn yellow but what's encouraging is that some of them seem to do fine so
1: interesting and they're right next mm. to
0: each other so is it is it the environment is it genetics and th- this is a great opportunity for people to study study this stuff and hopefully figure it out
1: well, those of us that, um you know, our consumers uh, that go out, regardless of what you're talking about, whether you're talking about a tomato or a blueberry or, you know, something newer like the aronia berry. You know, we're all—it's a learning process, and people like you are the ones, um, you know, on the front lines, really watching these trends and looking. Um, climate changes. You talk to any farmer, anybody that's growing anything on a on a larger scale, they absolutely see that climate change is a a real thing. They can tell you. Uh, unequivocally how their growing cycles and patterns have changed, you know, the quality of their their um, their yields. Uh, I find it very, very interesting. I definitely want to dive into that um, at some point in the future. I, I just hear it over and over again. Chris, tell me uh, what people can expect or what attracts people to the annual Pawpaw Festival. Uh, you talked about beer. I can totally see why being uh, in proximity to Athens which I just I think in the state people just associate it with beer um, among other things but what um, what kinds of things do people come to the festival for?
0: Well um, they come for pawpaws, of course. Um, either- they're not
1: buying them in bulk though like right there are they are there people that are still harvesting them and selling them you know like will people walk away with a you know a, a pint or a quart of pawpaws or is it really more about the making of things?
0: Um, no, we, we like to have as much fresh fruit for people as possible because we want people to have that experience about when you eat a pawpaw. Um, so yeah, we're going to have fresh fruit. We have a lot of educational stuff. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty well-rounded community family festival, but you know, the, we have a huge kids area for example we have a mother's tent so we start with the kids okay
1: uh-huh. and
0: you know, you know what's really neat is after having a festival for 24 years um you know we had people who were at the pawpaw festival as a one-year-old you know and now they're still coming back and now they're you know drinking beer and listening to music but uh you know, we, if you check out our website, ohiopawpawfest.com, um, you can see some of the stuff that we do, but lots of educational stuff. We're not like a typical festival, I would say, in that sense. Um, like, we have a huge tent that has programming the whole weekend about pawpaws. So,
2: mm-hmm. um,
0: and, you know, we try to make it an authentic experience where people, you know, that's why you're here at the mm-hmm. festival. You don't want to go to a pumpkin festival and not eat or Drink or consume a pumpkin, right? So, no. Right. So that's, that's right. That's been our main goal. Is you know, and my motto is pawpaws to the people," and and
1: <laughs> has been a big
0: part of that. So, besides pawpaw education, we have a lot of other. Um, I don't know. I would say kind of earthy topics. Um, we have a heritage tent, which talks about kind of like preservation of our natural and cultural history and you know I think the pawpaw really fits into that category mm-hmm. we have a tent called the Ohio Country Fair tent which is sort of like living on the land Mother Earth news kind of things you know from like beekeeping or you know I know there's a going to be a presentation about elderberries in there you know so interesting. Uh, okay. Earthy topic. So
1: people, yeah, I think what the point one of the points you're making really is like this is like people aren't coming. Don't come to this if you want um to ride a a really good ride. <laughs> like this is really an educational festival about um food. Uh, where you get it. It's a community um, living, uh, not living off the land, but I, I, I think it's a different vibe. And I, I, I hear you on that. Yeah.
0: And we have a, a sustainability village. So we're, you know, uh, we have a holistic health tent. Um, we have a pollinator tent. You know, a lot of people are into pawpaws just because of the butterflies um Mm. so those are those are most of our educational tents we have a great kids area though and then then we have music we have and then in the food court the food court every food vendor has to have a pawpaw dish for sale so um and then uh the beer the beer is a big part and then we have a community marketplace where we have lots of artists that make you know various pawpaw related arts so I mean, we're really proud of our festival. We've got a great team of people. Um, our location is Lake Snowden, which is pretty scenic, mm-hmm. and people can canoe or hike around Lake Snowden and pick lots of pawpaws. So that's kind of cool.
1: Oh, very cool! I love it. I, I I'm hoping to come next year. I got a little behind the eight ball this year, but um, it's definitely something I'd like to experience. And I think the listeners of this this podcast day. They are exactly the type of people that you know. We focus on local food and and the people who make, grow, and share it. and 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 that could mean a, a chef. That could mean someone that's got an interesting connection that's making, um, you know, a product that it doesn't have to be a you know an Ohio or a native product necessarily. It's really, you know, it, there's a lot of ways that they fit into this podcast. But I can tell you that. One of the things I I just love sharing with people are are things that they just don't know, and I and I feel like papas just really fit in that category. They're starting to be. I feel like there was just a lot of conversation in the last month, six weeks about them. Maybe those are the circles that I travel in, but I can tell you that the people that listen will be fascinated and I think they're exactly the people who would drive to Lake Snowden for a pawpaw festival.
0: Yeah, great. And it it becomes, it's become a tradition for a lot of people and families. So
1: interesting. Chris, um, I know you're doing some things uh, outside of pawpaws on your farm um, with your business, Integration Acres, uh, integrationacres.com. What else have you got going on there?
0: Well, I, I think one of the most exciting things would be the spicebush, and that's another native shrub to eastern North America. And we use the the leaves and the twigs for tea and marinades and such. Um, but the uh, the berries are like an amazing spice. Um, we call it Appalachian allspice. Um, it's
2: oh. it has
0: been used as an allspice alternative, but it really has its own flavor. It's, it's like a lemony, piney, peppery flavor. And uh, there's a local distillery, actually. Kelly Sauber um, is now a distiller, and he has a, um, a Spicebush Berry gin that's very popular.
1: Mm, that sounds like it would be made for a, a, a gin, a botanical a gin. That sounds perfect. Yeah,
0: and he's, he's won several awards with that product. So, um, yep.
1: Wow. Well, I'll tell you what, I did not know about that. I've, I've, I've never heard of that. So I, you can bet that I'm going to just hit hit the Google and, and check that one out. I really appreciate the time. Uh, I know it's a busy time of year. It's your peak time. So I don't take the uh, fact that I just grabbed uh, 40 minutes with you uh, lightly at all. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge. And um, also really shouting out people that you feel contributed to the to the understanding of pawpaws uh well before you uh they obviously have a very long history and it sounds like uh they have a pretty fascinating future and um we'll just end today's episode saying uh pawpaws to the people thanks so much chris
0: thanks lisa hope to see you next year at the festival
1: I'm going to book it in my calendar now so I can make some plans. Thanks so much. I'm a geek that way. I love a good festival and I uh, there's a lot to learn there. Yeah, and
0: you can be a judge at one of the cook-offs or the best pawpaw competition.
1: Amazing. I'm in. Okay. Have a great day. Take care. The CLE Foodcast is a project of Fork and The Road Productions, and my sound engineer is Bill Connors. Thanks to Chef Douglas Katz for being a monthly sponsor of the CLE Foodcast please head to Amba in Ohio City and Zoog in Cleveland Heights if you haven't already. And be sure to tell them that you heard about it on CLE Foodcast. They are truly some of my favorite restaurants. It's Ohio apple season. Be sure to check out episode 20 from last fall with apple farmer Ben Gammy of Quarry Hill Orchards. You will learn about so many apple varieties and I know it will whet your appetite for what's to come. Until you listen again, I'm wishing you a terrific start to fall. Stay hungry, be kind, and always, always set a bigger table.